Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing you think that you need. Every little thing that's just feeding your greed. Oh, I bet that you'd be fine without it. Live from the Trocadero Theater. Man, this is the, you know, this is the oldest, longest running theater in the United States. And you all filled it up tonight. Holy moly. Thank you so much for being here. Anyway, live from the Trocadero Theater, my name is Joshua Fields Milburn. And I am Ryan Nicodemus, and we are live in Philadelphia. Welcome to The Minimalist Podcast, where we discuss what it means to live a meaningful life with less. And we're here to answer your questions. I've been told there's a microphone somewhere. I'm, I'm thinking it's right around here somewhere. And so what you can do is sort of cascade down, um, or if you have some sort of superpowers, you can levitate off of the balcony. <laughs> and we will uh, we'll get to as many questions as we can get to. Howdy, what's your name? Hi, I'm Emily. I'm from Hershey. Hershey. Yes. Thanks for making the drive. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, so I had a question about pacifiers. Yes. Um, you've talked about them a lot in your podcast, and um, I was kind of wondering about dealing with the um, emotions or stresses or whatever that you're dealing with when you are when you're trying to get rid of the pacifiers that is pacifying those. <laughs> um, what kind of, what kind of, I'm going to move my chair up because this air conditioner is going to make me ill. <laughs> um, can you all still see me? Good, good, good. Um, so what kind of pacifiers are you dealing with? You said it was Emily? Yes, Emily. What, um, what kind of pacifiers are, are, are you? So for those of you who are uninformed and the, the, the ones of you who are dragged here, um, welcome to our cult. <laughs> we have Kool-Aid and Nikes in the gift shop on the way out. Um, and uh, just leave all your possessions at the door. <laughs> but no, for those of you who are uninformed, um, uh, we're talking about pacifiers, metaphorically, right? Not literal pacifiers here. Oh, but no, literal. Oh, what? No, I'm teasing. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is, I've actually had people ask me, and I'm like, oh, shit, okay, well, just get rid of them. That's easy. Um, uh, you know, I have a four-year-old now, and, you know, she had some pacifiers lingering for a while, and then we helped her get rid of those. Uh, but as adults, these pacifiers become a bit more abstruse, and uh, um, they're harder to deal with. So what pacifiers are you dealing with? Maybe you just give me an example, one or two. Hi, everyone. My name is Emily, and I deal with overeating and with uh, excessive cell phone use. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Hi, Emily. Hi. <laughs> um, Welcome, Emily. <laughs> so, so here's uh, uh, me too. So first off, uh, so I used to weigh 80 pounds more than I weigh now, and so my food was a big pacifier for me, and still is. I mean, it's just it's a dormant pacifier now. Um, because it's more of an addiction uh, than, than just a pacifier. Um, whenever I would get angry or stressed or upset or basically any emotion at all, I would just eat. 
And, um, and, and like, of course, you, I would reach for the, the things that, you know, it's not like I'm like, I'm just going to gorge on a bag of kale real quick. Uh, no, it, it was always, you know, like little Debbie snack cakes. Um, and, and, and so... Um, it, Pretty much when, like, Josh and I met each other in the fifth grade, like, I walked into class, and I was like, oh, my God, there's, like, a fatter kid than me in this class. <laughs> And, and Josh and I, we pretty much bonded over, like, cheeseburgers, cheese fries, cheese sticks, any other cheese-related products. Come to think of it, there was no kale involved, ever. There weren't. And I totally forgot about Little Debbie's, man. That's, like, that's throwback right there, man. It was breakfast of champions. <laughs> yeah, man. And, and um, yeah, seriously, I was the fattest kid in school, and Ryan was the second fattest. Um, and... and um, I gotta say, it's really insulting when we say that, and they look at Josh and they're like, "You used to be fat." <laughs> I, I don't understand what they just look at me. They're like, "Oh yeah, yeah, Josh." <laughs> so, so Emily, I, I, um, I've found that both with my my cell phone and with food. Uh, the thing that has helped me the most personally, and that's really the only thing I can talk to, is putting up some fairly draconian walls around my consumption, we'll call it, right? Uh, and with food, for me, um, there was some literal physical pain around it. So for those of you who listen to the podcast, you know I've been dealing for the last two years with some serious health stuff. In fact, um, toward the end of of last year, actually a year ago right now, we took a month or so break from podcasting altogether, from working, doing anything, because there was a point where I kind of thought I was dying. And uh, I've had just some tremendous uh, gut issues, and then it was just sort of metastasizing to the rest of my body. I was getting brain fog. I, I lost my short-term memory for a while. Um, it was really bad. And so when you get enough pain in your life, you'll start making some radical changes. And I still, I, I, at that point, I already had a, a relatively cl clean diet, but they were still like, okay, I still need to make more radical changes. And even recently, I, I, I did a test. That I found out I have really, really bad mercury poisoning. And so I'm on what's called a ketogenic diet now. And it's just, it sounds awesome at first because you're like, you eat pretty much all the fat you want. And, uh, None of the carbs, though. Yeah, yeah, you have to just get rid of the carbs. You realize carbs are in everything. Like, I'm breathing in carbs right now, I think. <laughs> and, um, and, and I could tell you, though, that after about, it was about two weeks for me, that shift, like, and Ryan and I were just talking about today. We were at Whole Foods in Brooklyn this morning, and, um, like, I don't even want to eat anymore. Like, it's the weirdest thing. I, I put food in my body for fuel now, like, I'm going to the gas station to fill up my tank kind of thing. And um, the cell phone for me is a bit different uh, because I, but it's still the same philosophy where I have to put some walls up and uh, I will constantly challenge myself or, or what you might call temporary deprivation where uh, we just did an experiment a few months ago for several months where I removed all the social media apps from my phone, so I couldn't check any of it whatsoever. My guess is that's probably the biggest addiction, right? That's the thing you twitch for, or uh, no? Pinterest, yeah, but I don't have any, I don't have any other ones, because, well, for that reason, but I, I feel like every time I get rid of one, then one 
kind of rolls around to take a, a like space. a new a new one. So, yeah. <laughs> are, are there non-social media things that you find yourself twitching for on your phone? I read blogs. Okay. You guys. Okay. Are one. So thanks for that. That's a great way to get rid of pacifiers, <laughs> Emily. Uh, yeah, I mean, but it's a weird thing. Like, like I obviously wouldn't want you to be, you know, addicted to our blog. Thankfully, I, I think that uh, the way we set it up, it's very sort of in and out. Like, there's, you're not going to fall down these weird rabbit holes where you're like, oh, the 17 tips to declutter this, and then, oh, here's a banner ad or whatever, and you, you start clicking through, and you're like, how the hell did I get here three hours later? Um, uh, YouTube is sort of my, my obsession, though. It's like my crack. And, and so I, I won't let myself do, uh, do the, these things on my phone. And then the other thing that I'll do is I'll schedule time to pacify myself. And it's almost like having a release valve in my life. Um, and I do the same thing with TV as well, because TV used to be an obsession with me a decade ago, because it was my biggest pacifier. It was before all the social media stuff. I'd come home from work, and I'm too tired to do anything creative or meaningful, so let me, let me pacify myself in front of this glowing screen. We've just shrunken the, the size of the, the, the glowing screens now, and they are even more um, titillating, right? And so with TV now, I'll, I'll schedule it at least a day out, usually several weeks in advance, and I'll do one or two hours a week, and it's often even on the computer. And I, I try to schedule that with someone else. And so we can share the experience, and then we usually talk about it afterward. I don't know if you can apply something like that to social media, but I know removing, uh, removing the apps from your phone and forcing yourself to go to your computer makes you go to the computer a whole lot less because you realize, like, if there's one small hurdle, I'm not going to jump over it. Yeah, uh, the only thing I would add to that, um, there are three things I would like to suggest, um, or three, I'm saying three because like, I'm trying to remember my points here. Um, the first thing is like, you, you've got to get clear on uh, how much you're using these things and how much you are eating. Because like with me, I, I switched to a ketogenic diet too to support Josh. Uh, my partner Mariah um, has pretty much the same gut issues. Um, and I know that that would be something healthy for her. And it's really hard, like, when she's trying to do a diet and I'm, like, eating a cupcake in front of her or something. And I probably shouldn't be eating cupcakes anyway. But, but anyway, I wanted to also support her and encourage her to, like, have a healthier lifestyle. So um, Josh recommended this app to me called My Fitness Pal. And I just kind of ate, like, normal for uh, a couple weeks. Um, I... Also, here's the second thing I'll recommend. Um, get an accountability partner. So Josh is a great accountability partner. Uh, Mariah's a great accountability partner. Um, but I have a friend named Jeff Sars, who I, he also does our, um, our uh, uh, like media design. Like our website is beautiful because of Spire Media. And, and Jeff, uh, Jeff Sars is, is one of the guys part of that. And I would send him pictures of the food I was eating before I even like really changed my diet. And keeping track of it and like, having an accountability partner really helped me to really see how much crap I was putting into my stomach. You know, it, I, uh, sorry, sorry to interrupt, but the, the, the tracking part, I remember when I first started doing that MyFitnessPal thing, like, I would sometimes not eat something just because I didn't feel like tracking it. And I'm like, I'm not going to eat this. I don't want to have to go in and track it right yeah, now. And when I had to send a picture to Jeff, 
Yeah. Sometimes I'd be like, well, I shouldn't eat that. I'm not going to send a picture of that to Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Yeah. So, so, you know, the reason why I'm saying this is because like that, that gave me enough leverage to really experience enough pain to realize, like I knew I was eating like crap, but like to have it all laid out in front of me, it was like, whoa, like you're, you're not just eating like crap. You're like really eating like crap. And, and to me, like, it gave me enough, uh, again, like, enough pain, enough leverage to, enough emotional, uh, emotional leverage, because that's, I mean, that's what we all operate off of. It's, you know, we run away from uh, discomfort, and we, we run towards pleasure. And experiencing enough discomfort will eventually make you go away from it. So, uh, for me, that was, that was um, kind of the stepping stone. But what I'll say is, like, once you start to incorporate good habits into your life, it really doesn't take that long to make it an actual habit. I mean, what do they say, 21 days? I I mean, I don't think there's actual number of days you can put on it. Um, But I'll tell you after like the first three or four weeks, like now when I, when I eat, it's funny because I'll be starving. And I went, went to the, uh, the other day and I got like this huge salad, like double uh, hamburger, cheeseburger with bacon on it. It looks so good. I mean, Jess was looking at it uh, Jess, who does all of our, our, our social media stuff, she was looking at it. She's like, oh my God, that salad looks amazing. I'm like, yeah, and I'm going to destroy it. And I got like a third of the way through it. And I'm like, oh my, like I can't eat anymore. Like I just, and I saved it for later and finished it. But um, to Josh's point, um, once you start instilling these habits into your life, it gets a lot easier and you start to notice how, how much easier it gets. Now, I was like at the coffee shop earlier today uh, up in uh, New York City before we drove down here, and there was like this, you know, chocolate-filled croissant that I was just like, oh my God, I want that so bad right now. But um, I didn't want to undo all the work I've done over the last month, five weeks, and uh, at the end of the day, it was more, um, it, w- it was less of a craving than when I was like giving into that type of stuff. Um, the, the other, th- the second thing is, uh, or the third thing, I already did two things, my fitness pal and uh, accountability partner. Um, the other thing is there's an app called Moment that, that Josh and I uh, ha- have been using. I, I used it for a few weeks to get an idea of how much I was spending my time on social media and, and spending time on my phone. And like not just um, you know realizing like, oh, here's the percentage of time, but things were like, you know, I get on Twitter for, you know, 30 minutes and I'm like, when the hell did I get on Twitter today? Like, I don't even remember it. So again, something else that will help you, you know, get leverage on, on helping you see exactly how much you're using that stuff. And I think, you know, combined with an accountability partner, um, it's absolutely possible to kind of, uh, uh, you know, limit the, limit the use of those pacifiers. Now, don't do everything at once. Like, don't walk out of here and be like, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm getting rid of all my social media apps, and I'm going to start eating healthy. Um, if you think you can, like, I totally support that. But what I'll say is how I have found the easiest way to make changes is to really focus on one thing at a time. So pick the thing that is going to uh, add the most value to your life. Like, what, what, what can you change? What pacifier can you remove that is really going to be most effective and make you live a more meaningful life? And start there. And then once you get to a point where, you know, you're four or five weeks into it, whatever you choose, then, it, like I said, it gets a little bit easier. And then maybe you can, you know, put on uh, something else. So, um, man, there's one more point I was going to have, but I totally well, lost it. Last thing, just, just run to- find something to run toward, meaning if you're, you know, if, you're almost, if you're pacifying yourself two hours a day or, what is it, the average American watches something like, 
a million hours of TV a week. Um, uh, I don't know what the, the stat is, but it's something absurd, like 30 hours. Um, but uh, find something to fill that time with, because otherwise you're just going to feel, feel a void and you'll feel compelled to fill it with a different pacifier. And we'll jump around from this one to this one to this one without doing anything meaningful. Right. Yeah, uh, I remember the last thing I was going to say is find something to replace those things with. <laughs> Sometimes he doesn't listen to me. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me, man. <laughs> Thanks, Emily. Appreciate right. it. Thank you so much. Got to stand up. I'm a little short. Howdy. What's your name? My name is Rainier. Hey, Rainier. I'm from Lancaster, PA. I Welcome. took the train out here. Uh, yeah. Amish Lancaster. country represent. All right. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no electricity or anything. Yeah, man, they put us to shame. Yeah. We're up here faking it. <laughs> yeah. So um, my question is about external factors and influence but from your parents, from your friends and family, other family members. I find it hard to deal with when I tell them kind of like what I'm up to with minimalism. I, I watched the documentary a couple months ago, and... I've never really been so inspired by a film to like really come out to something like this and I see the work that you guys have done and it's really obviously has resonated with so many people so I really want to thank you for that. This has just been amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you very much, man. It's our pleasure. Yeah. It's a real honor to like be up here and I mean I'm so glad y'all are here. But like Josh and I don't do this like this is not what we expected and the fact that you know, we can have this much of an impact. It, it really is an honor, man. So, yeah, thanks. Of course. Um, but I just want to know, like, some ways, some tips that you guys have or how to deal with those. How, how are you dealing with it now? So, so what, what are the specific challenges that you're going through? So you, you're, you, you've gotten excited about this thing, and you're mm -hmm. like, okay, I want to simplify. Yep. And then you jumped, as, uh, jumped up and said, look at me. I'm becoming a minimalist. Everyone around me needs to as well? No. Okay, good. No. Good. I'm not trying to uh, force my, you know, discovery on people, but I, I recommend the, the documentary, but, you know, I've, I've slowly but surely started getting rid of books and donated clothes. Um, I don't live on my own right now. I live with my parents and my brother still, uh -huh. so I'm, I have a plan in place to kind of get out of my uh, house and live on my own for a while. That's great. But I don't want a mortgage, obviously. I, don't, yes. I, I do want to rent for a little bit, but... I hear other people saying, oh, you should buy a house because you'll build equity and all that stuff. It's so, a great investment. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I was just having that conversation with my dad on my way over here, actually. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> and, you know, just dealing with that. I'm not dealing with it. I, I'm just trying to tune it out. I don't know how to continue moving forward without letting their heavy influence, you know, influence the rest of my decisions. Sure. So, uh, um can you expound a little bit on, on the influence? Like, what, um, what, uh, what's like, give me like the top three things that are, they're just pushing on you, man. Mortgage, uh, not mortgage, uh, buying a home, um, saving my money by staying at home versus kind of getting out there on my own. But it's not like they don't support me. Um, and another part of it is uh, just 
all the stuff that I that I have that I they think that I still need just in case, for example. Right. So so the thing that and, and you may not be able to unpack this right now, or we might be able to. Um, the thing you want to figure out is what are they afraid of, and and because. The, the, their first fear will sort of be the surface level fear. We, we did a, a podcast with our friend uh, Patrick Roan um, from Minneapolis uh, a few months ago. And uh, he said, there's two stories in every story. There's what the story's about and then what the story's really about. And I think the same is true with these fears. I think there's this thing, well, I, I want you to have a house because I want you to feel secure or I want you to to build up equity or have this investment, that, that, that's the surface level commentary on the thing. But, but below that are some fears. The fear of, of, I don't think you're spending your money correctly and that's going to negatively impact you in these ways. And once you can figure out what those fears are, you can do a better job allaying those fears instead of trying to, to have hand-to-hand -hand combat on these surface level issues because it's not actually about the mortgage. You, you, in fact, even with you, it's not about not wanting a mortgage. It's about want, not wanting to sign you know, a 30-year debt payment. How old are you? I'm 25. Okay. So at age 55, you may have this thing paid off. You know, I don't know what I'm going to do 30 months from now. Uh, I, I certainly don't know what I'm going to do 30 years from now. Someone's talking up here, and they're, they're in interjecting. But um, uh, we'll get to you if you come to the mic, I promise. Um, but you, you, don't have to, you don't have to feel compelled to live someone else's vision of your life. Because at the end of the day, it is your life. They will have some influence. You get to determine whether that's a good influence or a bad influence. Yeah, it sounds to me like your friends and family really care about you. Um, yeah, I think so. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, put, uh, forcing to buy a house, it, it might be it's something that works for them. Maybe they, you know, maybe they got a 30-year mortgage and, like, it's something that's worked for them for a few years, and that's okay. Um, you know, I would, personally, I wouldn't sign a 30-year mortgage. Um, like, Josh and I just moved to L.A. A, I can't afford a house in L.A. Um, I have to rent. Um, but B, like, I don't think I'll be in L.A. for 30 years. Um, I, I did own a house before and I did, I lost a lot of money on it when I, I mean, I was upside down on it when I, when I eventually sold it. Um, but my point is, is that there isn't always a right way or wrong way to do things, but there is a right way and wrong way to do things for yourself. And I think what it is, it's about, you know, having deep conversations with, those people who are trying to influence you and, you know, ask them like, Hey, do you, uh, do you love me? And they're going to be like, yeah, of course I love you. And you're like, yeah, I love you too. You want me to be happy? Yeah, of course I want you to be happy. Yeah. I want you to be happy too. And you know, if you love me and you want me to be happy, if that's the case, then, you know, I don't need you to have a packing party. I don't need you to get rid of any of your stuff. I'm not going to go to your home and judge the things that you have in your house. All I need is your support. And I appreciate these tidbits that you're giving me, but this isn't what I feel is going to help me live a meaningful life. 
And I think if you can have conversations like that with friends and family, it's a lot easier for them to support you because all they really want to know is that you're happy and that you're okay. And if you can relay that in a positive way, then you're probably going to get their support. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for being here. Howdy. What's your name? Hey, guys. I'm Brian. I'm from Philadelphia. Hey, Brian. Yeah. Welcome. Thanks for coming to Philly. Um, my question has to do with compassion for oneself as you go through this process. And, you know, the, the things you write and the things you say, they, they have, at least from what I've heard, has underlying themes of kindness, compassion, definitely non-judgment. Um, but I haven't heard you really speak to it. And, and you know, how have you, because this is hard stuff. I mean, we're talking about change and a lot, a lot comes up. And how have you guys been kind to yourself in those moments um, when things get hard and maybe you're not getting as much progress as, I assume that happened to you because th this is what I've experienced. You know, how do you, how do you encounter that? So, so when you say, not, uh, so maybe you hit a, um, some sort of roadblock at some point. Is, is, is that true? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's just really hard. You know, decluttering for me at least and trying to figure out what my passions are. It, it's a process and, and I, and I want to get to the, to the good stuff, you know, and I have to remind myself that it, it may not go as quickly as I'd like. So, so when you say compassion, you mean uh, sort of compassion toward yourself before the compassion toward others part. You, yeah, so you're talking yeah. specifically like, like not beating yourself up. You got it. How, how do I avoid beating myself up? Um, man, that's one I certainly struggle with because I have high standards, right? And I found the, often those high standards would correlate for me with high expectations. Like, I want to achieve this goal within this time frame. And, and man, I was the goal guy. I had spreadsheets full of goals and sub-tabs on those spreadsheets with sub-goals. And it drove me crazy because I had expectations doing all these. And the good news was, like, I would hit 20, 30, 40, 50, 60% of those goals. And then I'd beat myself up, though, because look at all these goals you didn't achieve. And the pain of not achieving is always so much more precise than the, the pleasure of achieving. And I found for me the, the key to making that shift to beating myself up less was maintaining those high standards, but removing as many expectations as I could. And uh, I did an experiment where I got rid of goals for 100 days. Actually, I didn't, I didn't make it 100 days at first because I didn't want to make it a goal. And so I said, I'm going to get rid of goals for a while and see what happens. And uh, I wrote about it in, in our book, uh, Everything That Remains. I'll, I'll, Jess, if we can grab a copy somewhere or I'll give it to this gentleman at some point. I don't want to feel like I'm selling you a book. Uh, although they're available in the lobby afterward. Um, no, uh, I, I did this experiment, Living Without Goals, and I learned a whole lot about direction over goals. And, and, and as opposed to trying to get to this one specific place, I realized that for me it was a lot better to, instead of try to make it to Seattle as a goal, then maybe just travel west and see where you end up. You might end up in Seattle, but you might end up somewhere else you didn't expect, and it might be better for you. Um, the time where goals, I think, are really important are when you're in a crater. So for me, getting out of debt was a really important goal. And, and 
The problem with that is, though, I think we give our goals way too much credit for the actual actions that we have to take. You can have a goal to do anything. You have a goal to go into space. That doesn't make you an astronaut. The, what makes you an astronaut is the, the actual actions of, of, of you know, everything you have to do to, that leads up to that point. And so we need to give our actions a whole lot more credit. And that's where the high standards come in. The standards sort of, that they, they prop up our actions. And then I find that once I'm out of any crater, like being out of debt, it was much more important for me to, instead of travel to a specific place, travel in the direction in which I wanted to go. For me, man, like I am, have embraced the fact that I am not perfect. <laughs> but it's true, man. Like when you do set expectations really high and those standards really high and you don't mean it, uh, or if I don't mean it, I should say, um, I would really have this like down feeling like, oh man, like I can't believe you didn't do that. And, and it really, when I talk about uh, in the very beginning of the talk where I say, you know, I'm not talking about a perfect life or even an easy life, it's because I do want to be very clear, like this is not a perfect life. There's no answer to living a perfect life. And, you know, what I focus on is making sure that as much as I can, again, not perfect, but as much as I can, my short-term actions will align with those long-term values and beliefs. And if I get to a point where that's not happening, and I notice that on a regular basis, like I will go out of my way to change my state. So um, I'm trying to think of the last time I've done this. So Mariah and I, we went to, um, we just have done some traveling this year. And it was getting to a point where like we were having a lot of fun. We were going out with friends and we were drinking all the time. Like not, not nearly as much as like in my corporate days, but it got to a point where I was like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. I'm like, I, this, is, this is not the path I want to go down. Like this is something that um, we have been consistently doing because when you're around your friends and you're traveling, it's like, there's always an excuse like, oh, let's go, cheers. And when, some, when, when that came up, I, you know, I was talking to Mariah about it. And I'm like, we should, let's just like, you know, stop drinking for a month. So we actually went like 45 days. And, um, you know, I'll tell you, like that really helped me kind of curb that, that behavior. So, you know, anytime you find yourself acting out of alignment with your, with your long-term values and beliefs, find a way to change your state. And that could be by uh, doing some kind of cleanse thing or removing some pacifier in your life, but doing something drastic. Uh, that's why I did the packing party. When Josh mentioned minimalism, and I'm like, oh, I'm like, yeah, this makes sense. Oh, yeah, if I don't have a huge mortgage and I'm not buying a new car every couple of years, maybe I won't have to you know, earn all this money and work this hard and drive myself crazy to live this lifestyle. So for me, to, that packing party, packing everything up, making it real, like putting it all in my living room and being like, holy crap, like this is all my stuff, and then having to dig through it. When I was you know, going day to day over those, those three weeks, it really helped me change my states. Where at, you know, at the end of those three weeks, at the end of a month, I was like, wow, like this is, this is uh, I just had all these amazing revelations. Like, wow, my, my priorities, I say they're, they're this, but I don't really spend any time on those. This is what I spend my time on. 
And what if I actually spent my, my time on these priorities? So I would just say, yeah, change your state as much as you can. Uh, get that, again, get like the emotional leverage you need to, to take action. And um, yeah, I was, I'm, I'm like trying not to recommend the same things I recommended to Emily about find accountability partner, realize exactly what, you know, what mistakes you're making, but, but those things will help in that situation as well. Thanks, guys. Thank you. All right, one second. Before, before we move on, uh, we're getting ready to move on to the lightning round. But for those of you listening to this at home, if you have a comment or a tip for anyone who asks a question today, you can, uh, you can call in and, and leave that comment or tip at 406-219-7839. Or you can send a voice memo right from your phone to podcast at theminimalists.com. And uh, I tell you, that's probably my favorite part of the show is when we shut up at the very end and we get tips from listeners and I get to learn a whole lot as well. It's part of the reason we're on the road right now with the Less Is Now Tour is we get to listen and we get to actually engage with people face to face. Ryan, what time is it? It is time for our hashtag Ask the Minimalists lightning round where we ask... Are we asked questions or do we answer questions? Are we going to ask them questions? <laughs> we can try that. First question. No, well, well, nice shirt. Where did you get it? I'm kidding. Uh, uh, yeah, we were on uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at The Minimalist. We usually take this time to, to answer questions from social media, but since you're here, we'll answer your questions. And we try to respond with a short, shareable, less than 140 character response, but because you're here, we'll have to ramble a little bit. Although we've been extra rambly today, so I'll try to be a little more concise. Howdy, what's your name? Hi, uh, my name is Alex. Hey, Alex. Uh, so my question is, uh, you guys both come from the uh, corporate world and uh, you talk about in the documentary how you guys made awesome money but spent even better money. And, uh, well, f uh, sidebar, but uh, that documentary like really changed uh, my life and it answered a lot of questions that I never thought could be answered. And uh, I'm really happy that I stumbled upon it on Netflix. Thank you. Uh, but my question is, um, when... Now that you know you've em, you know embraced the minimum lifestyle, minimalist lifestyle. Uh, my question is, you talk about making purchases intentionally, so we're we're bringing things into our life that add value. Uh, my question is, when you how how do you find the balance between depriving yourself of certain things but also rewarding yourself? So you you want your purchases to be intentional. So how do you uh, find the balance between the two? My honest answer to this is I don't reward myself with stuff. Okay. Um, because I, that's just, just for me personally, like I, I don't look at stuff as, as a reward. I look at the things in my life as, as tools that augment my life. And uh, you know, during my talk, I was talking about how as a minimalist, everything I own serves a purpose or it brings me joy. So it doesn't have to be truly utilitarian, like I have to have everything as a, a functional object. Um, Although most of, most of the things I own do, but there are some things I have that they're just purely aesthetic and bring me joy in, in that respect. But I won't, I try not to reward myself with stuff because I'm often, as a, if you're doing that, I find, at least for me, I'm rewarding myself based on an emotion. Like, I really want this thing and I've, I've done this, so X equals Y. If I do this, then I get this. And um, it feels a lot like the rat race to me in a way. And so the, th the questions I ask myself is, can I afford this thing? And when I say afford it, I mean, can I, can I afford the price on it, but also can I afford the space and the maintenance and the upkeep and cleaning and painting the thing and 
putting the batteries in the thing and putting gas and changing the oil of the thing. There's all these other embedded costs. And then will it actually add value to my life? And, and if so, then, I will, um, then, then I'll bring it into my life. If it stops adding value though, I'll let it go. So that's, that's you can find 140 characters in there somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was just going to try and respond with 140 characters, but I'm going to have to ramble a little bit too. No, I, uh, I, I definitely uh, have stopped rewarding myself with stuff because it's such a dangerous path. It's like, well, just going back to what I was talking about when Mariah and I were traveling, it, it was like, oh, we're on vacation and you know we're, we're hanging out with family and stuff and there's always an excuse to drink. And if I, if I kept up that habit, well, then I would just be right back where I was. So, uh, you know, I think, I guess if I had to give like a 140 character answer, I would say, if you feel like you're depriving yourself, you probably are. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> because at the end of the day, minimalism is not about deprivation. It's about finding that balance between excess and deprivation, actually. And minimalism will help you pull away from, you know, not just having too much, but also the desire to have too much. Like my, my buddy um, who he's out traveling the world right now with, with his partner and they, they teach um, classes online, English classes online and like so, somehow he makes a living, but he's for all intents and purposes, like he's a starving artist, like they're dirt poor. And, you know, he asked me, he's like, what's your message for poor people, man? And I'm like, at the end of the day, it's don't want or stop wanting material possessions. Stop banking on material possessions bringing you happiness. Like if, if you have to do something and then reward yourself, that is not going to be nearly as meaningful as if you just did something that you were supposed to do and like just accepted it as part of your life. And focusing on that more is going to help you actually feel like you're living more of a meaningful life than you, if you constantly play this game of, I'm going to do the right thing because I'm going to get this reward. Oh, so here's my pithy answer. The activity should be reward enough. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. <laughs> All right, so... We're going to do uh, two more lightning round questions, and then we're going to do an overtime question. So we have three more here. I apologize to other folks that are in line, because they will eventually kick us out of here, and they have submachine guns, I've been told. So I apologize, but I will give you a, a, a hug if you stick around afterward. What's your name? My name's Lori Rochino. Where are you from? Um, I'm about an hour plus west of here, um, the Reading area. So, woohoo! <laughs> nice. So here's my question for you. First of all, thanks for being here. It's just awesome. Thank you for being here. Amazing to have you. Um, you're welcome. How do you apply minimalism to grocery shopping, particularly if you're trying to do a clean diet, such as a ketogenic diet? And how do you approve food shopping so nothing goes to waste, like especially the produce? Like I'm constantly cleaning out my fridge, and we do travel relatively frequently. So what's your approach to that? Yeah. So so I don't have a pithy answer for you, but I've got some basic tips for you. When you're on the road, I mean, Whole Foods is, is, has been the place for me. It's more expensive than going to you know, a Kroger or whatever the equivalent is here. Um, the, it, it's, you know, it's going to be a few dollars more, but my, oh, here's my pithy answer. My, uh, 
my health is worth more than a few dollars more. And, and at home, I, I tend to go grocery shopping twice a week. And um, I, uh, the tips that, that I use for myself and I still use, I refuse to buy anything that isn't on my list. And so even if I know I'm at the store, like, I knew I needed toothpaste. Why didn't I put it on the list? I'll force myself to go home and then come back if I absolutely have to get the toothpaste that day. And again, a very, very draconian sort of uh, wall that I've put up. But the problem is if I allow that one thing, then all of a sudden my shopping cart is full of little Debbie snack cakes. <laughs> you haven't even been sharing those with me, dude. <laughs> Oh man, um, yeah. I would. I just want to repeat what Josh said. I'll also steal that pithy answer. Don't buy anything that's not on your list when you're out shopping. Um, that is extremely helpful. The thing with the leftover foods. So, uh, just to give you a little background. My my Oma, my my grandmother. Uh, she was in Germany, dirt poor. Her her mother had to like put her in an orphan. Uh, orphanage for like three or four years because her mom hurt herself and couldn't provide for the family. So it was like her and her two sisters in this orphanage. Um, long story short, she now has this, she's very um, aware of waste. So like when I see her make eggs, she'll like break the eggs and then she'll like take one shell and she like scoops <laughs> the white out of the one shell, throws away, then gets the other shell. And she scoops out the other white part of the egg. So that is how much it has been driven in me from my dad who has passed that down. Like, I hate wasting food. So I, I have, I have um, found this balance, though, where, you know, I will get food that I'm pretty sure, like, after living with Mariah for four years, I'm, I have a good idea of kind of what we go through. So I don't, I don't ever get anything more than that. But I have also accepted the fact that there is going to be a little bit of waste. And, you know, I try to, you know, do a compost pile and I'll recycle everything that I can. And I try to be really responsible with my waste. Um, but, you know, when it comes to food specifically, if I'm full, like I used to be told, hey, Ryan, you're not done with your cheeseburger and cheese sticks. You should eat those. And I would eat them because that's what I was forced to do. But, like, as an adult, like now I have a choice to be like, you know what, I can't wrap this up and send it to someone who needs it, obviously, uh, and I'm not going to continue to eat when I'm full, and I've like totally let, allowed myself to like get rid of stuff. So um, I guess what I'm saying is like, you know your habits, don't, don't buy above and beyond that. Um, be okay with having a, you know, a little bit of food waste, like it's, it, it's, it is what it is. Um, if you find yourself being excessive, then you should probably change the way you're buying food and, and, and planning on consuming it. Um, I'll tell you one thing that's my really good friend though. Some nice like ratatouille. Like I can't tell you how many times Mariah and I have had, I can't eat like eggplant and tomato and carrots and cucumber and like they're all going bad and I'm like, well, guess we're making ratatouille tonight. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, even though it may not be like a dish that you would buy in a restaurant, like you can still eat that stuff and cook it up. My, uh, also, my partner, Rebecca, she has a great website called Minimal Wellness, and she has written a few, uh, a few things, an essay about uh, food waste in particular. Uh, she's a, a registered dietitian and a nutritionist, and um, she's you know, done that her entire adult life, basically. And so she, she writes about it, but she also links back to a lot of 
a, a lot of studies with respect to food science. And so I think you'll find some value in, in that as well. But you should talk about some pretty practical things as well, like shopping. Howdy, what's your name? Um, my name is Tatum Pappas. Hey, Tatum. Um, I'm a sophomore at St. Joseph's University. Go Hawks. Um, Go Hawks. So like you, Josh, I'm a big planner and goal setter. Yes. And over the summer, I stumbled upon minimalism, and I thought it was so intriguing, so interesting. So I guess my question is, does there come a point when you're like, ah, I'm a minimalist, like check that off the list? And if so, like what's the next step? How do you continue living a purposeful life once it's happened? Yeah, yeah, so, so like on my, my to-do list, it's like become a minimalist. <laughs> that, that, that seriously sounds like something I would do. Um, in fact, uh, we, we were recording this, this video uh, recently. Ryan and I uh, were, were making our first ever physical product. It's, it's uh, that damn bag that's in our documentary that I've had so many people ask me about. And uh, eventually the guy who, who created it, who it was gone a long time ago, uh, he, he stopped making it basically. And he's like, I'm getting so many people emailing me about this, are you? I'm like, yeah, my, my inbox won't stop. And, and so we decided to make this physical good. And, and as part of it, we were recording this video about like things that we pack as the minimalists. And so when I'm on the road, I pack the same amount for one week, like we're on the road right now for one week, for six days actually. I'll pack the same amount, amount of stuff for six days as I will for a one year trip. In 2014, we were on tour for almost the entire year. And it all fits into this one bag. And so in the video, they're saying, what, uh, one of the questions people were asking when we were doing like, this Q&A session on video for the bag, uh, they, they were asking us, like, what, are the, what are the things you always forget to pack? And Ryan's like, well, I forget my hair dryer and my hair straightener and my hair cream and, um, and all, uh, several other hair products. By the way, how's my hair looking right now? <laughs> Thank you. So... Um, and then it came to me, like, what are the things you always forget? I'm like, nothing. Here's my list right here. It's on my phone of every single thing I will pack, and I will never forget anything. And um, lists like that can be really helpful to prevent you from screwing something up. But also, I found for me, lists can get in the way. I, I used to have a to-do list, and it was a never-ending to-do list because I could always put stuff on it. And eventually, I turned it into two lists, my two lists, to-do list into two lists. Um, the first list is, it says today on it. Here are the things I want to do, I must do today. And I don't let that list go beyond five things. And so if I, if I want to add something to that list, I have to take something else off. So I better either do it or, or, or just get rid of it altogether. And usually what happens, I usually just end up deleting something and not doing it at all. Um, the other list that I have is a someday list. And I don't look at that list very often, but if that gets something in my head and I'm like, I just want to write it down and maybe I'll get to it someday. But here's the real problem. Back when I was in the corporate world, those two lists were flipped for me. I used to spend most of my time working 70 or 80 hours a week, so focused on whatever the next emergency was. Right, and so someone sent an email, oh my God, we gotta do this, or I get a phone call, hey, this store needs this or this, and we're having an inventory issue here, and hey, did you get that email that I sent you? I'm calling you about the email that I sent you. You didn't see my text? And, and so my, 
my to-do list was just full of other people's to-dos. My priorities were actually everyone else's priorities. And that was a huge problem for me. And, and so, because the things I actually wanted to do, the creative endeavors, the focusing on my health or my relationships, those were on the someday list. Yeah, I'll get around to being healthy someday. I'll get around to paying attention to my marriage that is in shambles right now, someday. I'll write that book that I've always wanted to write. I'll write it someday. Yeah, I know I'm making good money and I could contribute beyond myself. I could give some money to charity and I'll do that someday. But then of course, like someday never comes around because it's always today and I'm focused on this to-do list today. And I'm looking at that and I said, well, wait a minute. What if I were to flip these two lists around? What if I were to just say, those things that are my real priorities, what if I make those my priorities today? And then those things that are everyone else's emergencies, they can, I can get to those someday. Man, I wish there was this perfect list of like 100 items you should own. As a college student, here are the 100 items that you should own. Nothing more, nothing less. And you can call yourself a minimalist and we'll send you a certificate for 1995. <laughs> and everything would be perfect. And you can check that off your list. Um, minimalism, it is not an end goal for me. It, it, is, it is a lifestyle that... Um, I continue to incorporate because something that adds value to my life or you know mine and Mariah's life today, it may not add value tomorrow and vice versa. So what I would say is if you're in a spot right now where you feel like you have reached this point where you feel good about your life and you are living a meaningful life and you can look in the mirror and say like, yeah, yeah, I, I could call myself a minimalist, which, by the way, I wasn't a minimalist until I said I was. It doesn't really take a lot to, to become a minimalist. Um, but, you know, if you feel like you're at a point now where you have worked really hard to uh, live a meaningful life, I would just say keep up that great work, but don't, don't ever think that you're done. It, it's, it's never done. It's constantly changing. And I think minimalism, again, isn't this end goal as much as it helps one bring a balance to their own life because you're in college now, your life's going to be very different in 10 years. And then once you have, you know, a spouse and a kid and a house, and then 10 years from there, it's going to be even more different. And minimalism will, will help you to uh, keep a balance through the rest of your life and to maintain a meaningful life. What, where are you on the Myers-Briggs? Do you know? Say it again. Myers-Briggs? Have you ever taken a Myers-Briggs? No, I have no. not. Okay. So, so you're, you're the big planner. I figure you, you would like know what your, your personality type is. I would encourage you to figure that out. And, and the reason being is... I'm, I'm really intense. <laughs> well, so, so uh, I, I, I'm, I'm an INTJ. And what that means is I'm an introvert. Uh, there's a, you know, you're welcome... Here's the weird thing, like INTJs make up 3% of the population, except because we're so, such intense planners, we all know that we're INTJs. Um, 
But um, I'm an introvert. Um, the N stands for intuition. It's like a big picture thinker. I'm kind of on the border there. Uh, I'm a thinker, um, which means I don't have any feelings. And then, um, uh, and then J is judging. It just really means planning versus perceiving. So Ryan is essentially the exact opposite of me. We have radically different personalities. And the reason I recommend figuring it out, um, and we, you can go to our, our um, website, it's theminimalists.com slash alone. I wrote a whole essay about it, but you can also take the, the little personality test online. Um, it helps you understand how to interact with other people as well. Because remember a second ago, I was talking about how I was putting out everyone else's fires and, and it, it it became easier for me to say no and figure out how to say no to different types of people. Once I understood what my personality was, it helped me understand my needs, but understand other people's personalities, you understand their needs as well. So I think, I think that's helpful in sort of reprioritizing your priorities and helping other people understand what your priorities are. I want to thank a few people before we wrap up. Uh, we're on the road with uh, two amazing individuals uh, right now, Jessica Lynn Williams handles all of our social media, and uh, she does the merch out there. She runs something called minimalist.org for us, a free local meetup groups in 100 different cities. And uh, her biggest task is she straightens Ryan's hair most nights. <laughs> and um, so she... You said he wouldn't do more than one hair joke. <laughs> <laughs> no, you said I shouldn't do more than one. Um... And uh, so Jessica's around here somewhere. She does our social media. She's taking pictures. She's live tweeting this whole thing. So if you want to uh, find something pithy, you can also share your own photos and, and tweets and Facebooks and all this other stuff tonight using the hashtag less is now. That's the name of the tour. And we'll repost some of our favorites. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, Jessica Lynn Williams, wherever she is in the shadows. And then while we're on the road, we have a podcast producer, a tour manager, a podcast editor, a website, man uh, a website manager, website editor, and uh, a, road, a road manager, um, and a tour bus driver, all in one person, <laughs> lurking in the shadows in the back. Ladies and gentlemen, podcast Sean. Thank you for being here. Thank you both for, uh, for doing what you do and helping uh, us uh, do something meaningful with, uh, I mean, we, we used to go on the road and Ryan's Toyota Corolla and uh, we'll still do that from time to time. And we were lucky when six people showed up and it's just really great to see uh, the Trucadero Theater. Let's thank them for having us fill up this entire space tonight. And if you, if you leave here tonight with just one message, we hope it's this. Love people and use things because the opposite never works. Thanks, y'all. Have a great day. Thank you so much, Philadelphia. Every little thing think that you need every little thing you think that you need every little thing that's just feeding your greed oh I bet that you'd be fine without it 
Every little thing that you gotta have Every little thing that you gotta have You gotta reach for And you gotta grab Oh, I bet that you'll be fine without it So tear your eyes away Or tear 